tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello, and if I didn't say it yet, Happy New Year. <laughs> we can hope. I, you know, it, it is, <clears throat> I suppose New Year's is all about good intentions and losing weight, but somehow they do blend into each other, I have to admit. But the Lord, his mercies are renewed every day. So for us, every day is a good day to make New Year's intentions. That said, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's open the big book on the coffee table. And once again, as I said yesterday, we are reading from the letters of St. John and the Gospel of St. John, and he is portrayed uh, um, as an eagle. His, his works soar above the clouds, and uh, I've got to be honest with you, I find them very difficult. Um, I, I, I'm sure I shared this yesterday, but I, I really suspect he wrote in the vocabulary of people uh, who had been the followers of John John the uh, Baptist. Um, John the Evangelist had been a follower of John the Baptist. And uh, we forget that, uh, that, that there were these religious movements in, in the Holy Land at the time of Christ. And, um, well, John was one of them. And John the Baptist uh, uh, told John the Evangelist, don't follow me, follow him. Uh, he's the Lamb of God. He's, he's the one. Um, and I think that the, these these works were addressed to the gospel and the letters were addressed to uh, people who had been followers of John the Baptist. Again, this is just my theory. Uh, so you got the salt shaker ready? Take it with a grain of salt. Where's the salt shaker? Ah, there's the salt shaker. Yes. Um, but I think it's reasonable to think that. Uh, again, forgive me for repeating myself, but I, I think it's it's interesting to know that there are still people who regard John the Baptist as the Messiah. Now, uh, someone corrected me on that, and they were right. He is the greatest prophet. But I, for greatest prophet, I would read Messiah. They're called the Mandeans. There's about 60,000 of them. Um, 
they you ever met any of them? Um, I no, my voice my just asked me if I'd ever met any. No, I've never met any Mandeans. But they're a Gnostic sect, and they 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 regard John the Baptist as far superior to Jesus. So so we read in the Acts of the Apostles that in Turkey, fully twenty years after the the um, uh, the martyrdom of John the Baptist, he had followers in Turkey. So he was not simply a voice crying out in the wilderness. He was also the leader of a significant sect, one might posit. Um, so that's John the Baptist. Uh, and John the Evangelist had been one of those followers of John the Baptist. And I really do believe that the Gospel of John is written to point out to the followers of John the Baptist that John the Baptist himself had said, I'm not the Messiah. Um, I think that's that's important because we read in the second to last chapter of uh, the Gospel of John the Evangelist, um, these things have been written so that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Um, so at, again, again, with the background. So that's, I think, why the language of the Gospel of John and the language in his letters is so different from the other parts of Scripture. Uh, well, let's let's get into this. Children, let no one deceive you. The person who acts in righteousness is righteous. Again, forgive me, I repeat myself, but I, I look at righteousness as uh, the the reflection of the nature of God. That that uh, uh, the Hebrew word for justice uh, and 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 charity are, are almost interchangeable. Uh, a tzaddik is a, is a righteous man. Tzedekah is charity. Uh, I'm think, trying to think of the Hebrew. Tzedek is, uh, is, is righteousness. So we think of righteousness as, as never, being, never doing anything bad, never, never being wrong, never being mistaken, um, always making sure your, your grass clippings are swept up and your credit cards are paid on time. That's a righteous man. No, that's not a righteous man. I, I think that, that when we think about righteousness, we, we should look at St. Joseph. It's very interesting. At, at the uh, Christmas season, we, we, the Christmas holidays and leading up to them, we read the stories about St. Joseph. St. Joseph, being a righteous man, did not want to expose Mary, our Blessed Mother, to the penalties of the law. A righteous man, the way that so many of us think of it, said, Ha, you've sinned. You get what you deserve. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is tempered always with mercy and generosity in the Hebrew concept. Uh, God is righteous. He is the ultimate, ultimate righteous one. And to the degree that we imitate him, we are righteous. So if you meet someone who is not generous, not merciful, not kind, that person is not righteous. They might be following all the rules precisely. Now, that's not to say that, oh, you don't have to follow the rules, just be nice. No, the rules are very important. They reflect the nature of God. Uh, um, so I, I, I've said this a number of times, and I want to move on. But the person who acts in righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous, meaning the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> Whoever sins belongs to the devil because the devil has sinned from the beginning. All right, what is the word for sin? The word, oh gosh, I, I should have looked this up, but uh, I, I'm just assuming it's, uh, uh, it's hamartia. And this, this really belongs uh, to, to 
a Greek sporting term, believe it or not. Uh, hamartia means to miss the target, to miss the mark. And that's, we, we remember what St. Paul told us, that, that um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, people always say, well, God has a plan for your life. Um, uh, yes, of course he does. And I miss it all the time. I, I never quite get to, to that point. And, of course, the computer I'm working with somehow refuses to cooperate with me, but that's all right. We'll just assume uh, that it's uh, Hamartia. I don't know oh, why. Oh, good grief. Good grief. Where's the any key? I'm moving along. Yes, we'll just assume, and I'll look it up in the break. But uh, the, the, the idea that, that I missed the target, well, the devil has missed the target from the beginning. Indeed, the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is begotten by God commits sin. Now, this is a fascinating thing. Jesus, we say, is the only begotten Son of God. However, we are begotten of the Father by his grace, not in the same way that Christ is, but we are given life by God. No one—well, wait a minute. I commit sin regularly. <laughs> uh, pray God they're venial sins, but, you know, no one's perfect. This is a very interesting phrase. It isn't to commit sin. It's In Greek, it's to do sin. And again, I have shared this with you to the point of being tedious, that there, Greek verbs are very precise things, uh, that, that there is— a, something called the aorist form of the verb, which often is a past tense, but not always. And then there's a present tense. The present tense is a continuous verb. No one who is begotten by God keeps on sinning or or continuously. The word is to make sin. That's what Poyan Hamartina is what the text says. No one who is begotten by God continually makes <laughs> the missing of the target because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin. Well, wait a minute. You mean if I sin, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I don't belong to God, even a venial sin? Uh, no, no, that's not what it says. Of course, if I could find the, the text, uh, um, the word that they're using here, which I will once again attempt to do. Okay, there we go. Let's see here. Clicking on it. I can't even find the proper thing to click on. Oh, well. Okay, I'll just blunder on, <clears throat> assuming I, I am correct about the text itself. Back to the text. He cannot sin continuously. In this way, it's the idea of, you know, if I sin, I can go to confession or I can, for a venial sin, any act of repentance. But the person who who is in a continuous state of sin is alienated from God. Uh, that, that, uh, how to explain this? If I say to myself, I don't care. God loves me, you know, and I can do what I please. 
you know, I've met so many people who say, well, I'm saved. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 12 years old. I, I actually knew someone back when I lived in the, uh, in the inner city of Chicago. Um, he was, <laughs> he was my barber, uh, a young man, uh, uh, his barber, son of a barber. They had a shop in his dad and great haircut. But he regularly would go over to the to the phone to do drug deals, and I pretty soon stopped going to that barber because I thought I was going to get blown away in a in a in a drive by. I mean, it's, you know, a haircut shouldn't be dangerous. Well, uh, but he would he was an evangelical, and he would regularly rail against Catholics about how at least we Protestants we know we're sinning when we say you guys dance and you drink, and uh, I'm saved though I'm going to heaven. And then he'd go over and do a drug deal. He was persisting in, 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 in committing failure, in doing failure, in doing sin. He, didn't, he, he, he thought he was begotten by God, but his habit of life was, was to live victimizing other people in the drug trade. Um, this was, of course, 40 years ago, so <laughs> I, I, I would be amazed if he was still with us. Uh, but moving along, um, so that idea, he cannot sin persistently. You can't sin persistently and claim that you are a child of God. In this way, the children of God and the children of the devil are made plain. God's children, we are children by adoption, and then by the grace of the Holy Spirit, he begets the life of the Trinity in us. So we are children of God by adoption. I've, I've told you before that the devil doesn't have children. Well, yeah, the devil does have children. He kidnaps ours. We're God's children by adoption, and or we are the devil's children by, well, seduction, I suppose. No one who fails to act in righteousness belongs to God. This, from the context of the, of the letter, I don't think it's saying if you fail, you know, you will fail now and then. But if you, if you continually act in an unrighteous way without any sense of repentance, um, you can't claim to, to be, well, I suppose the word that evangelicals use applies here. You can't, you can't uh, pretend that you're saved. So... Um, nor does anyone who does not love his brother. This is a lot tougher, actually. This word is, of course, agape, and I, I translate it as sacrificial love. Oh, I love everyone. You love them sacrificially? Well, if you don't, you can't claim to be uh, um, the child of God. All right, let's go to the gospel. This is John 1, 35 to 42. I spoke about that yesterday, that, that uh, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that, that uh, Abraham and Isaac sacrificed a ram on Mount Moriah to the Lord. A ram is not a lamb. Abraham had said, God will provide the lamb of sacrifice. John the Baptist is saying, God is providing the lamb of sacrifice, Jesus. So they, uh, I heard a wonderful comment uh, today uh, from Father Rocky. He, he, looking at this passage, he said, uh, 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 the ra- he, Jesus turned, they're following him. These disciples of, of John the Baptist are following Jesus, and he turns around and he says, what are you looking for? And so they change the subject. Oh, where, do you, where are you staying? <laughs> so he says, come and you'll see. So I, I, I think that's pretty funny. But uh, then uh, 
Father Rocky really struck this this phrase, which I, I had not even thought about or noticed, that they stayed with him that afternoon, that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Remember the song, uh, Amazing Grace, uh, The Hour That I First Believed? Well, John the Evangelist is remembering years and years later the hour that he first believed. He could never forget that hour. Now, many of us grow up in the faith and we say, well, I didn't have this dynamic conversion. If you look at your life, there was a moment, there was a time when this suddenly began to mean something to you as an adult. Some people are adults very young and some never quite get there. But, but to remember when, yeah, this was, this was the event that made me start taking my faith seriously. This was the hour when I first trusted God. For some, it's very, very young. And, you know, that I always say there are two kinds of conversion. There's the St. Paul getting knocked down on the road to Damascus kind of conversion. And then there's the St. Peter, oh, Lord, I'll, I'll die for you. The, who, I never met him. It was a lo- lifelong and a gradual conversion. So I think both are real and both are important. You can't say, well, I, I, I got saved at this time. Um, you can say that's the hour I first trusted God, first believed. But but our whole life is a process of conversion. So um, I think that's that's an important thing. Well, let's we're going to move on. We're going to take a break. I'll come back with letters. And we will open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash UDallas. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back. Same old place Hello. that you laughed about. Well, the it's time to go. Oh, by the way, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. It is time to go to letters. This is kind of an odd. I, I, I can't figure what else to put it in the show, so I'll put it in letters. Um, uh, because it was kind of a letter. A friend of mine... Uh, sent me a copy of a pamphlet put into uh, the car windows of every car in a Catholic parking lot, uh, Sunday Mass, by a Seventh-day Adventist. And uh, it was talking about the Seventh-day Adventist church, and it had the whole long list of things about about uh, Catholics are, are um, not biblical, and they had a big thing proving that the Pope was the Antichrist, you know, it's interesting. We read the other day that the sign of the Antichrist is to say that um, uh, that the Messiah has, or that, that, that Christ has not come in the flesh. Every day I stand before an altar and I say, this is my body, this is my blood. We believe so strongly that the Messiah has come in the flesh that we repeat those words every day. I would say the person who denies the real presence 
in the Eucharist. This is my body. This is my blood. I would say the person who denies the real presence in the Eucharist is in much greater danger of being anti-Christ against the Messiah. You know, the, the, the Scripture talks about the Antichrist, the great anti-Messiah. But there are lots of Antichrists, and we participate in the spirit of Antichrist, St. John seems to indicate, to the degree that we, we don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. And Catholicism is off the hook in that regard. Another of the objections is, why do you call a priest father when the Bible says, call no man father? Well, I always say, what are you going to call that guy who married your mother? Well, that's different. No, it's not. Jesus is saying in, the, in that passage in Scripture, call no man rabbi, call no man teacher, call no man father. The Jewish rabbis at the time of Christ seemed to arrogate great privileges themselves. For instance, if a boat was sinking and your father and your rabbi were in it and you could only save one of them, would you save, of course, your rabbi? Because your father merely gave you physical life. Your rabbi gives you spiritual life, that sort of thing. A rabbi called the shots. What Jesus is saying there is have no gurus. Don't have anyone who's going to tell you precisely what you must do as as a, a kind of guru. Uh, you should have spiritual directors. And St. Paul calls himself in the beginning uh, of the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he says, it was I who fathered you in Christ. I begot you in Christ. Then in the letter to the Ephesians, he says, I fall on my knees to the Father of Jesus from whom every fatherhood on earth, patria, is the Greek word. Every fatherhood on earth takes its its uh, its its name. This was a three-page document, um, and to refute it would take a treatise. And one can find that treatise at various sources. I think Catholic answers answers all those questions very well. On and if anyone is is uh, vexed by these things, I always recommend. Uh, the the uh, conversion story of Dr. and Kimberly Hahn, um, Dr. Scott and Kimberly Hahn, uh, Rome Sweet Home. He had all these objections memorized. <clears throat> but then when he saw what Catholicism really taught and believed, he realized this was biblical truth. All that said, I wrote my, my correspondent back, you know, you can pick off the branches and pick off the leaves. What you got to do is go for the root. The Seventh-day Adventist Church was founded by a fellow named William Miller. The Adventist churches, these are the ones who stress uh, the Second Coming. And we Catholics, we certainly stress the Second Coming. We talk about it, I think, three times during the Mass. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Then other places in the Mass, we remind ourselves that we await the return of the Lord. So, in that sense, we are Adventist, but the Adventist churches proper were established by a fellow named uh, William Miller around 1840. He felt he had figured out the precise date of the of return of the Lord. It was some going to be sometime in, uh, uh, he narrowed it down to sometime between 1843 and 1844. Then he got a precise date, and people sold their property, they they, they dressed in white and went up to the tops of hills waiting for the Lord to return, and nothing happened. It was called the Great Disappointment. And then he went on to form to found the Adventist Church. Um, he had come to this conclusion by a careful and precise and very shallow mistaken reading of, of the prophecies in Daniel. So... 
this fellow is putting, uh, this Adventist is putting confusing literature, which sounds very good when you first read it, all over the cars. And, uh, but he's in a, in, a, in, a, in a sect that is based on a shallow interpretation of Scripture and a false interpretation of prophecy. And the question would be about all of these things, would you be rather be in a church founded by essentially a false prophet about 200 years ago, or would you rather be in a church founded by Jesus 2,000 years ago? You know, I think that, that we are so easily shaken as Catholics, and we need really to dedicate ourselves to being disciples. In other words, yeah, I'm Catholic. My mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, they're Catholic. God has no grandchildren. You've got to be Catholic because you believe it's true. And in order to believe it's true, you have to be a disciple, a student. So good New Year's resolution I'm going to give you is become more of a disciple. I suppose if you're listening to Relevant Radio, you already are taking discipleship seriously. But but make it your, your study because if you, if you look at these things deeply— Oh, that's what the church means and is taught. You know, the church goes through different periods and different tribulations and different difficulties, but so far, so good. We have clung to Christ, and he has clung to us. So that said, all right, let me see. I've uh, got to find my uh, my hoosie Hold on. It's always this. Ah, there it is. Okay, I've got my mouse, and I'm going to click on this and go to some letters. Let's see if I can. Find a fun letter here. Okay. Well, this is a question from a listener in the letter. Um, uh, um, What does Moriah mean? I don't know what Moriah means, but it's the mountain on which the temple is is built. Uh, Let me see if I can find that. You see, Jerusalem is built on a a ridge uh, um, that, that has... Very steep side, so it's very, very defensible. However, um, uh, uh, it, it's it's the northernmost part of it was a, a kind of high spot that was used as a threshing floor, and David had a vision of 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 this uh, this mountain, or, or rather, of an angel standing on this this. I mean, it's really a glorified hill. This 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 sort of mount, let's call it that. Uh, the 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 uh, <coughs> excuse me, the the name itself uh, um, is, is simply a place name. I, I don't know that one can actually uh, assign a name to it, um, but that's what it is. It's the northernmost peak of the old city of Jerusalem on which the temple was built. So. I don't know if that answers your question. I I doubt it, but that's all right. Okay. Let me go to another one here. There's another question from a listener. Okay. Okay. Could you explain vicar of Christ as friends deny the Pope is the vicar of Christ? A vicar. Uh, this is a, an English word meaning someone. It technically means... Uh, uh, someone who stands in for. A parish priest used to be called a vicar. In other words, they stood in for the pastor, uh, the vicar. So the, the word meaning is, 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 it isn't a replacement, 
it's it's for instance a vicarious uh, a vicarious pleasure would be something that uh, you're not actually involved in eating the ice cream you're just really enjoying the watching the fellow eating the ice cream i i don't know that i would uh uh be so very excited about watching someone so it 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 comes from a, 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 the word means a substituted agency, an administrative deputy. That's that's the the dictionary definition of it. So uh, the, the, Jesus, we believe, gave that job to Peter. That thou art Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And people say, well, Peter really means a chip off the old rock. No, the the word Cephas, which is Kepha, which is Aramaic, that means rock. And the word is used constantly in Scripture, the, the Aramaic word. So though, if someone tells you, well, that just means a chip off the old block or a little piece of, a little pebble, eh, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, then have, have them explain the word Kepha. Peter, Peter was, was uh, um, named by Christ as exactly that, as the keeper of the keys. Now, when Jesus said to Peter, uh, um, to you are given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that that this refers to a story uh, in in the Old Testament, whereas there was a fellow who was the keep. I was always a fellow, the keeper of the keys of the house of David. He was sort of the prime minister, and he had, he wore the keys of the house over his shoulder, and that was symbolic of his role. And it was an hereditary position; it wasn't just a one time off. So when Jesus said, "You are the rock." And upon this rock, I will build my church. To you are given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He was appointing Peter to an office. Those people who want to claim that Jesus didn't want to establish an institution, they don't read the scripture very well, very thoroughly. So uh, um, this idea of vicar, Peter was appointed to be the the grand vizier, the prime minister of the house, the new house of David established by Jesus. And in English, that word vicar was applied to it, an administrative deputy. So uh, I hope that answers the question. Well, we are going to take a break, and we are going to come back with a word of the day, and then we are going to go to phones, and you can call in. I think we've got plenty of phone spaces. 888-914-9149. We will be right back. Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help with this year's health insurance open enrollment. They offer individual, couple, and family options to best fit your needs. Before January 15th, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. You saw me crying in the chapel. The tears I shed were tears of joy. I know the meaning of content. That's an interesting song. The voice in my head decided to put on. That's Elvis. You saw me crying in the chapel, and the reason was that the sermon was so long and boring. Ah, some guy named Simon preached it. At any rate, um, moving along, let us go to the word of the day. The word of the day is the very first word in the reading, uh, the first reading from... 
John, 1 John 3, 7, children, let no one deceive you. The word children, it's an interesting word. In Greek, it's technia, which means little children, and it's neuter. Uh, but it, it comes from the, the uh, verb to give life, to, to, to bear, to, you know, as, as in a woman bears a child, this is uh, technon, and uh, this is the diminutive of technion, means little children. I don't know why they don't translate the little part, but little children. And it implies someone who is absolutely dependent. Uh, it is uh, it is a matter of dependency, and uh, I think that's good to remember that to the degree that we can be dependent on Christ and on our heavenly Father, well, to that degree we are His His children, and so often we we want to be God's friends. <laughs> And, of course, ultimately, we do become friends with our parents, but we're their children first. So always remember that, that uh, when you've got no other place to go except God, well, that's probably where you should have started in the first place. All right, let's go to phone calls. The phone is ringing. Let's go to Deacon Dan from Austin, Texas. Are you with us, Deacon Dan? Is this the Deacon Dan I know? It is, Father. Oh, Deacon Dan from 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 forty, fifty years ago, actually. Uh, exactly. That's something. Wow. Exactly. You're still young, though. I wanted. What? <laughs> right. Uh huh. Um, I wanted to uh, just share with you <clears throat> something that you said at the opening of your show. Yes. Yes. Which was, uh, you were you were uh, wishing everyone a happy New Year, and then you kind of devolved into, yeah, but happy, well, you know, good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> reality sets in. And then you said something about <clears throat> really what we hope for is blessedness or, or something. I'm paraphrasing. And I, I was struck because that was my homily for last Well, there you Sunday. go. Well, great minds think alike. You know, what can I say? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, so and I, in my homily, I referenced the change in, in 2011 in the uh, wording of the Mass when they changed from happy are those who are called to a supper to uh, blessed are those yes. who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Yes. The Church in her infinite wisdom trying to um, get away from the the variable notion of happiness to the precise notion of divine blessedness. Yeah, yeah, that's important. That That is a, that's, that, that's a heck of a deal. Yeah, and I always say blessed means favored. That's what it means. That, that, Beautiful. That when the Lord blesses you, uh, people say, well, how can you bless God? Well, you can favor God. <laughs> so, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, all the changes that we went through, uh, everybody complained. Like my favorite one was when they changed the words uh, from, uh, which is poured out for you and for all, to, to many, well, that sounded exclusive. I had the opposite, that for Greeks, the many were the unwashed mob, the unimportant people. Mm. It's poured out for the unimportant people. You had the one, government by the one, government by the few, and then you had the many, who were just the yeah. schlubs who did the work. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's who... So, so all these changes, they were there for a reason. And I think that we had a lot of, uh, as I mentioned earlier about another bunch, but a lot of really shallow scholarship when you and I are young and we've been making up for it ever since. <laughs> Golly. So how you doing? You're well? I, I am well. I'm um, knee deep in um, spiritual direction. Wow. Uh, down here I've got uh, 
quite a few folks who come to me for their spiritual direction, and uh, I'm participating in the healing prayer ministry down here. Wow, wonderful! Very busy. Yeah. It's just a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful time. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I was actually down in Texas, but it was a smash and grab, and I was, I was not near Austin. Well, I guess I was near Austin, but not actually in Austin. But I was amazed at the vitality of the church in in Texas. I mean, it, very it, vibrant, it, very, very vibrant, very yeah. vibrant and and uh, young and growing. So. It's amazing. So, uh, I went down to Texas A and M, where where which isn't really a school; it's more of a religion. But there are Catholics there too, the Aggies. But uh, uh, they, oh, yeah. they just they, they keep expanding the church there. So, well, it's good to really? hear you. They're yeah, building a cathedral it, there. It's, it's amazing. I can't wait to see that finished. Maybe I'll get down there and yeah. I'll have to make sure I stop by and see you. Well, give my love to the family, good. and it's good to hear your voice. God bless you. Father. God bless. All right. All right. God bless. Oh, that's, that's delightful to talk to Deacon Dan. We, we used to play guitar together many, many years ago. <laughs> but, oh, my. Let's go to Jerry from Escondido, California. Thank you for taking my call. My question is this. Uh, when there's a marriage between a male and female, and they have intimate relations, and the seed unites with the ovary, uh, egg of a woman, at that moment, that's an immortal soul. And also, does that immortal soul receive its holy guardian angel then or after it's born into the world? Well, I would say probably then. It's a human being, and uh, um, Jesus says the, the little ones. He's not necessarily speaking of children. He's speaking about those, the unwashed multitude, I think. But, uh, you know, the, the the unimportant people. But I would say, yes, every human being, and this is certainly a human being conceived in the womb, I would say they have their, that the, 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 that the guardian angel is in relationship to them even then. So I hope that helps. Interesting question. And thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. Let us go to, uh, let's go to uh, John from Phoenix, Arizona, where it's warm. John, are you with us? Warm? It's freezing out here at 65 degrees. Oh, you poor, poor. Did I, I don't know if you listened yesterday, but I pointed out the Thursday before Thanksgiving, the Thursday before Christmas here, it was 14 below zero where I was on the Mercury, and it was at that time seven below on Mars. It was colder where I was oh, than Mars. So I'm not feeling any pity for your cold 65. So well, well, we would cover your prayers nonetheless. <laughs> yes. Hey, right. um, I have a, just a, a question. Um, a lot of people like to take, I think it's in Galatians where Paul said you're saved by grace and not by yes. works of righteousness. Um, I've always contended that those works of righteousness are not a part of the moral law, but they may have been circumcision and the yeah, ceremonial law. You're laws. exactly There's, right. What, what, what is your take on that? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, and it's works of, works of the law that he said. We're not saved by works of the law. And when you and I hear law, we hear Ten Commandments, but there were 613 commandments. And there yeah. is, uh, I've shared this before, but it won't stop me from sharing again. There is a Dead Sea Scroll called Some Works of Righteousness. The Dead Sea Scroll, always good, uh, uh, an exciting read. But the Works of Righteousness, it discusses issues like if a dead mouse falls into a clay, a clay bowl. The bowl is, of course, unclean, as you know from your reading of Leviticus. And uh, it must be broken. Clay can't be purified. Now, if you're pouring water from a clay pot into the clay bowl into which the dead mouse has fallen, can the uncleanness leap up the stream of water and pollute the clay pitcher so it too must be broken? 
The Essenes and the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls said, of course it must. The Pharisees said, don't be ridiculous. And Jesus and Paul said, get a life. So, Well, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Then the, the scroll ends, and these are some works of the law. Yes, those little prescriptions. You know, I get the biggest kick out of people saying, oh, infant baptism isn't, isn't real. Well, Yes, it is. It's it's baptism isn't our choice for Christ. It's Christ's choice for us, and and uh, uh, it's his election. Uh, so, oh, but you gotta you gotta do it in the right order. You gotta get saved, then you get baptized, then you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Then, if you're not baptized by full body water immersion, you're not saved. That's a work of the law. They're saying you're saved by works of the law, and you're not saved by works of the law. You're saved by grace through faith. And we Catholics, I always joke that some of those people, they talk a lot about grace, but we Catholics, we're counting on it. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, John, in your interpretation there. So does that does that corroborate your thinking? It does. Thank you very much. Well, God bless, and thanks for listening. God All right. You. God bless. Let's go to Ray, who's calling from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Yes, Father. What can uh, I do for in you? Today's reading, John yes. said, Behold the Lamb of God, when he was pointing it out to yes. the future disciples. But when he was in prison, he sent a delegation to Jesus, and he asked, Are you the one, or should we look further? Yes. Yes. Isn't that a contradiction? Isn't, Not isn't he, you know, at all. He, he knew who Jesus was in the first case. Now he's saying, I don't know who you are. Not, not at all. Not at all. I will tell you my theory, which is wrong, and then I'll tell you what the fathers of the church said, and they were right. I reading that I thought, you know, if I was in his situation and you know John didn't know Jesus in a familial way. John went off to the desert and and seems to have been dedicated uh, by a Nazarite vow very early. You know, this idea that they grew up, you know, playing baseball together. I don't think they did. But John recognized him in a spiritual way, but then he's arrested and if I was in that situation, I would want to make darn sure I hadn't wasted my life. I would I would have sent somebody to say, I, I'm right about this. You really are who you claim. That's not what the fathers of the church said. They said that John uh, sent his disciples to ask Jesus so that they would believe. It wasn't a matter of John believing. It was a matter of, of his followers no longer following him. He didn't want his followers to follow him anymore. So he sent them to Jesus. To ask that question, are you the one who is to come? They had to hear it from Jesus' own mouth. So John had no problem recognizing Jesus. His disciples, as I said earlier in the show, had a great deal of trouble. Does that help a little? Very much. Thank you very much, There you Father. go. Well, thanks for listening, Ray. God bless you. Let's go to, let's go to Jeffrey from Davenport, Iowa. Hi, Father. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I, as I've grown older, I'm 60-ish now. It seems to me the church has softened quite a bit when it warns against sin, especially when you're trying to talk to a non-believer or skeptic. St. Paul, for instance, in Corinthians and Romans was quite stern and harsh about consequences for certain behaviors and sinfulness. Is this a a sign of the times that we're kind of holding the hand more and trying to discuss things more? With sinners, or I, I count myself among them, of course, but what, what would you say? Well, I, I really think it's a reaction. You know, I, a lot of people reminisce fondly about the church of the 50s, and I, uh, there's a lot of great, I grew up in the 50s, and uh, they're beautiful stuff, but there was some stuff that wasn't so beautiful. I was just talking about that at lunch with some of the folks from from uh, uh, from, uh, from the staff here, and, and uh, 
you know, that, that uh, there were there were guys who could say a mass in 10 minutes and get it over with, and they were real popular. You know, you, you wanted the priest who got the mass over with. That was that was not uncommon in the 50s. And and there was this this kind of very um, uh, precise spirit, like discussions about basically people asked the priest, um, is it a sin if, in other words, religion is fire insurance that how much can I get away with and not commit a mortal sin? So the church needed some stuff. But I think we have over my generation of priests, us old guys, we overreacted to that strictness and, and we, we kind of softened it too much. In my experience, uh, Confession, the sacrament of penance, reconciliation, whatever we're calling it these days, has made a huge comeback. When I was a young priest, the confessionals were empty. Now, in a lot of places, you go and there's a line. The sacrament of, of penance has made a great comeback. So I think people are, in the world we live in are beginning to realize it is a sinful world. I don't know how you can turn on television and not realize that. Uh, but I think what happened was my generation of clergy overreacted to the the uh, the overemphasis on 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 uh, sin without a reference to the mercy of God, uh, but now you know we need to to come to the happy balance. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I really think that's the historical process of what happened. Does that help? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. God. When speaking to non-believers, you take a different approach. Uh, no, when when speaking to non-believers, I, I tend to talk about, uh, you know, for me, evangelism, I've shared this before, evangelism is getting someone to say you to Christ. St. Alphonsus Liguori said, he who prays is saved. And I think that's a, a very profound idea, that that you can talk about God, you can talk about religion, you can talk about sin, but when you can pray with someone and get them to say you to Christ— then they enter into a relationship with Christ, and then then you catechize them. Uh, uh, evangelism is is really to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ. Part of it is to point out sins, but you really don't have to do that with people. Most people really realize that they're they're a mess, <laughs> especially in our this day and age. And uh, you know, I always say, if someone comes up to you and tells you about all their problems, you say, "Can I say a prayer with you?" Very few people will say no. Close your eyes. I'm going to say a prayer for you. And you get them to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to, I trust you to take care of these things. It, it's the best form of evangelism I know. What most people think evangelism is, is catechesis, explaining the, the facts of the faith. Whereas evangelism is bringing them into a saving knowledge of Christ. And uh, uh, when you see someone suffering, Bring them Christ, uh, and then, then, but you got to be honest in catechesis about about the evils of sin, because well, that's why they're so screwed up in the first place. There, I hope that helps a little. <laughs> Hallelujah! Thank you. God bless you. Okay, let's go to Liz from Delaware. Are you with us, Liz? Hello. Hello. What can I do for you? Okay, I have a question. A friend of mine lost her um, husband, and is it appropriate with? within Catholic teaching to say, may you feel his presence in your times of need, meaning her husband's presence. I don't mean God's presence. Is that acceptable in Catholic teaching? Well, I, I don't know that it's unacceptable, but, you know, I, I can see where, you know, it could lead people into kind of an, uh, an interest in the occult. You know, um, 
it would be far more appropriate to say the Lord is is with you, and 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 we trust that He's with the Lord. So, you know, of course, uh, another big mistake we make at funerals is we canonize everybody, and I, you know, that's another issue for another 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 issue. So, uh, uh, but I think you have a point. I think it's far better to say. I don't think there's any definitive statement in the church on it, but it's far better to say. You know, uh, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, you know, that, uh, or just say, can I say a prayer with you? As I said, if you can pray with them, that, that's, that's, that's a moment when sin has really overwhelmed them, not a specific sin, but the, 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 the fra- fragility of, of, the, of the life that we live here. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, it does. Thank you so All much. All right. God bless Thank you. Thanks so much for calling God in, Liz. Let's go to Tom Thanks. from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hi, Father. Um, I've always had this question, and today's reading um, brought it up back to my mind. Um, so, Tom, in the Bible, it says Thomas is called Didymus, mm-hmm. Matthew is called Levi, mm-hmm. and then when Jesus met Simon today in the reading, he right away said he's Peter. So, my question to you is, you know, why do they have different names? Why is Thomas called Didymus? And then in Simon's case, I thought maybe Jesus called him that, and that was the start of popes having different names. No, actually, no. Popes uh, popes didn't get special names until, oh, sometime after the, uh, I want to say about 500. I have to look at the exact date. But there was a fellow named Mercurius who was uh, uh, named Pope Mercury and decided that just wouldn't be good to have a pope, a bishop of Rome, who was named for a pagan god. So he picked another name, and that's what when that started. So that's not quite true. But I, I've got a few names. I know how I know where how I know you by what you call me. You know that uh, uh, I have all sorts of extra names, nicknames from different groups that I was with in my youth. So we do tend to have different names, and Jews actually formalize that. They will have a name, uh, a Hebrew name. Uh, and then they will have a name, well, in our society, an American name. Like Herb might be Hezekiah, Hezekiahu in, in Hebrew. Or uh, 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 someone named Yitzhak might be Irving. They, they try to make the the, uh, the, the the Gentile modern name start with the same uh, consonant that the Hebrew name does. So they actually formalize that with a number of names. Now, Didymus means twin. That's probably because he was probably a twin. Uh, and and Kepha, that was given to Jesus to to designate his upcoming role in the church. So nicknames have purposes. Usually, it's to point out some unfortunate physical feature, like Tubby. So uh, they didn't call me that, but uh, close. All right. Speaking of nicknames, hang on for Drew. He's coming up. <laughs> 